Greetings and welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick with your hosts, Ray and Mark. In this episode, your intrepid hosts discuss their childhood memories of the space race. You know, I've read that space radiation has likely rendered the flags planted on the moon by the Apollo astronauts completely white. Oh, great. Now everyone will think the French beat us to the moon. Welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick pod- Podcast with Ray and Mark. I'm Ray. I'm Mark. And 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 this we're going to talk about space. And this is uh, this is where the space race started. This is what it sounded like. Do you recognize that? Is that Leica's heartbeat? <laughs> no, it's Sputnik. No, that's that's Sputnik. So that's. Uh, with that, the uh, space race kind of officially began. Uh, us versus the, uh, so- oh, well, it was the Soviet Union back then. And, and this week we, uh, we, we had, I, I think, a major milestone in, in the history of space where uh, the uh, SpaceX Crew Dragon went up to the International Space Station. And uh, it was pretty exciting. Did you, that was did you watch it? I did, and that was wicked cool. Yeah, it was, it was wicked cool. What what's well, I guess what surprised me and didn't surprise me about that whole thing, and I think I'd mentioned it to you before, is that the idea of let's free up NASA to do deep space dedicated stuff, and let's give low Earth orbit to uh, private industry. That makes sense. But what surprised me is they kind of decide in what 2011 where they approved the decision in 2011, toss it over to industry for a cold start, and they stopped the shuttle. That surprised me. I kind of thought it would be a, a neater meshing, a transition. Right, yeah. it. Uh, yeah, that was just kind of kind of dropped, and uh, I, I'm not sure what the problem was. I, I mean, there, there were we did lose two of the shuttles, and there were a, a whole raft of technical problems with it, especially those uh, heat tiles, which mm-hmm. were problematic from the start. And I think I remember hearing before part of it was NASA's budget and stuff like that. And it just wasn't sustainable. Right. But it was, it was cool. It was amazing to see the difference between, um, I mean, even though the, the rockets were always built by, you know, Boeing and McDonnell Douglas and all these companies, um, it must have been to like NASA specifications. And so it's amazing to see what a spaceship looks like when a company has free hand. Talk about right. also a modern st- looking spaceship. From, right, also starting from scratch and not just uh, building on incremental uh, models from, from what's been done already. Uh, this was like uh, kind of brand new from scratch. And I like how they, uh, they kind of incorporated that, uh, almost like the Apple uh, minimalist aesthetic and everything that yep. was on, on, designed on that ship, including the exterior. It was just amazing. From the exterior to the astronaut suits. Yep. Yep, T- touchscreen controls, and um, also even on the the spacesuits, getting rid of that uh, big circular collar where the helmet locks in. I mean, granted, yes. it's only a, f- a flight suit, but it's a pretty streamlined flight suit. Very mm-hmm. cool. It was it was very it was fun to watch. Very exciting. Well, and when they were docked with the space station, and you were looking at one side and the other, it was like two different worlds. Uh, you know, everything's clean and simple and digital on, on the SpaceX side. And on the space station, there's just wires all over the place and, and analog dials I, and, and valves. And I, I, uh, thought, was, I thought the, the same thing. What it, what it reminded me of is, um, you know, like the Apple store 
docking with the service bay of a 747. Yeah. <laughs> it's or, a big difference. Or the old, uh, the old Mac and PC commercials. You know, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC. <laughs> it's right. very much like that. Right. But it's, uh, it's absolutely amazing. It's great to be back um, doing space flight. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's gonna be, what's going to be really exciting is when the Boeing Dreamliner comes along. And so the, the whole idea is if they have some kind of technical mishap or something like that, the whole program won't be grounded for years. It'll be like one capsule because there will be multiple companies doing it. So it's pretty neat. It, one thing that was interesting, uh, and, and someone from SpaceX was talking about this, was how automated things were. I mean, the explanation is that frees up people to do to other tasks, but it was almost like, you know, the, the astronauts were kind of cargo for the first part of the flight because they really didn't do anything. It was totally automated. And at one point uh, during the docking procedure, they issue a command that says, you know, hands off, that they're no longer allowed to abort anything, that it's, it's all machine controlled at that point. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and people were asking, you know, after they, they successfully uh, got up there, uh, you know, how did this handle, because both the astronauts had been on the space shuttle, uh, how this handled compared to the space shuttle. And they, they kind of were hemming and hawing a little bit because you don't really fly it. It, it flies itself. And, and the interview I saw um, today from the space station, but they were basically saying that with the shuttle, you know, you're starting off with uh, solid rocket boosters. And they said, that's a, that's a rocky ride when you first start out in the uh, space shuttle, whereas this is, mm -hmm. you know, liquid, liquid fueled. So, so it's much, much smoother. But they said, what's interesting is the space shuttle, once you jettison those solid rocket boosters, gets a lot smoother. Um, they said with this capsule, um, as soon as they, they jettisoned the uh, the first stage or something like that, and then went to the you know the engine that operates in space. It, it was a little rougher, and so they said one thing we're going to be looking at with the engineers is why is that, you know. So mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting, but it, just an amazing amazing feat, amazing um, amount of progress a company can have in a short amount of time. Right. Also going up uh, for for all the progress and for you know as modern as everything seems. The fuel is is uh, kerosene. It's, yeah. it's kerosene and liquid oxygen, and very simple. I mean, they're all. Remember when you were kids? There was like you know TV shows and movies where someone was always trying to steal a rocket fuel formula. Right, right. <laughs> there is no magic formula. It's it's kerosene. Is it really that simple? That that's it now. That's, that's I mean, they said it, it was it densified, so I think it, it's chilled down. I don't know if they do anything else to make it a little more uh, dense, but it's essentially just just the same as jet fuel, basically. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It was it was very cool. It was exciting. What had what had become kind of routine doing space flights was now like exciting, and you're kind of at the edge of your seat rooting for the guys. You know, you want them to be safe. You want the program to be successful and, and hurry up and start achieving things so we can get back in space. Right. It's kind of all new again. Yep. So what do you remember uh, from, from space as a kid and growing up? Because it was a big thing when we were kids. Now, this is interesting for me because um, my musical memory um, is better than my current events memory. Like, I, I will remember um, the Kennedy assassination because that was the first time reality really intruded on my childhood. And I remember seeing it on TV, the bulletins coming in and whatnot. For whatever reason, I don't know if it's because um, my older siblings weren't really watching 
space launches and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was generally aware of them, but all I saw was what was on the news. The first time I really got drawn in is because I was older and it was with um, Apollo, probably the Apollo one fire. Right. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. Very distinctly. Yeah. So 1967, I would have been eight. So probably from then on, I was really watching. But before then, all I saw was what was on the news. So I knew I I would be able to tell you what Mercury was, what Gemini was. I remember them doing spacewalks in the Gemini, you know, but it's like, that's about it. What about you? Uh, I think, John Glenn, I, I do have a vague memory of, of that happening. Uh, Apollo 1 was probably the very first one. I just remember yeah. uh, my mother being very upset and kind of watching things on TV. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Horrific. Yeah. Apollo 8 was very cool. That was the one where they went up to the moon. And they had, you know, the moon lander and stuff, the LEM, but they didn't land. They just uh, went in orbit around the moon. Uh, but it was the first time we got right. to see the Earth from the moon and the other, the far side of the moon. It was, uh, it was uh, very exciting. That was up on, yeah. on Christmas. 1968, December 21st, it went up. Yeah, with, um, with the Apollo 1 fire, um, I was just reading an article about it. And it's, everything's 2020 in retrospect, but it, it's interesting to see how we, how we got there. Um, but it was things like, you know, one of the reasons why the fire burned so quickly was that it was like 100% pressurized oxygen atmosphere. Apparently, a recommendation had been made to NASA before about using, what, oxygen and nitrogen, I uh, think. Yep. But ultimately, ultimately, that was vetoed because they had a couple of high-altitude pilots actually pass out uh, because of the nitrogen level balance. Mm-hmm. And it can also cause, like, the bends, that kind of right. thing. And so they decided, oh, it'll be safer going to 100% oxygen. And then um, apparently the the doors or the, the hatch on the spacecraft used to be uh, in, in Gemini, I think. It was uh, explosive bolts could emergency open them up. Mm-hmm. And what they did was, uh, but I think it was, was it Gus Grissom? Uh, maybe it was Mercury. It mercury was Mercury, Adam. yeah, Gus Grissom. And then, yep. and then they had the explosive hatch and the, and the thing sank. And so what they did is they said, okay, we got to think of something better. And so they had like a mechanical hatch. And so it's the combination of mechanical hatch and oxygen atmosphere that set the stage for a tragedy. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. Yeah, I was reading I about that too, because uh, I mean, just on the surface, a uh, pure oxygen atmosphere just uh, seems like uh, it's just courting disaster. I mean, if, if you're got using oxygen in a hospital, there's no smoking signs all over the place. And it's nowhere near the concentration you get inside the space capsule. But I, I saw something about um, part of it was weight, because you have to remember back then systems weren't digital and, and streamlined, and everything was bigger and heavier. And I guess to to maintain the proper pressure uh, in a nitrox environment, uh, you'd need so much extra weight and so much extra equipment, uh, and it just was not feasible. And they, they think, didn't think it was feasible. So they're trying to, you know, cut corners a little bit, and, and that's uh, that's what they ended mm-hmm. up with. And there was all kinds of other things, like the the gas masks the crew had, uh, not the not the the, the, the ground support crew. Uh, the gas masks they have were designed for uh, like noxious chemical fumes, mm-hmm. not not fire and smoke, and and also a lot of the safety apparatuses they normally have up and running and ready. Um, weren't active because this test was happening on an unfueled rocket. Mm-hmm. And so they thought there's really no danger here. And so they totally weren't ready. Right. So it was just tragic. But yeah, that was, the, that was the first time the space program really zeroed in on my brain. And I was following it after that. 
there were a lot of unmanned flights. Uh, there were tons of probes that went out. Uh, there was, you know, Pioneer series, Mariner series. Uh, the Russians mm-hmm. were sending ships to Venus. Uh, but none, right. none of that's as interesting, really, as, as putting a person up there. Yep, it's amazing. And I, I can remember um, in 1969, in July of 69, we were on vacation in Atlantic City. And um, the moon landing was supposed to happen the day we got back. And so the whole drive back, I'm just like itchy because I want to see it on TV. And so I, I saw it on TV. That was just surreal. That was amazing. Yeah. If it wasn't all faked, of course. <laughs> That's a sub- <laughs> uh, subject for a podcast. Yeah. The, the conspiracy theory about the, all the moon landings being uh, being fake. Um, I think there's there's no doubt we were there. I don't know why they would fake it. Now, one of my goals has been when I was a kid, I was there to see the moon landing, and so my goal is before I leave this mortal coil, I would like to see a Mars manned landing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's going to happen. There's just too many technical impediments. I mean, it's going to take a while. Yeah, aren't aren't all the what the missions they're talking about now, are, they seem to be like one-way missions. There's no, like no way to return. I don't, I didn't think so. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, what I've heard is the big problem is how do you, how do you shield astronauts from radiation from that long? Cause apparently once you're out of our Van Allen radiation belts, you're really subjected to some intense interstellar radiation. So yes, that's what I heard, but I don't know. Well, and you know, I guess you'd be outside of that going to the moon, but those, those were only a couple days. Right. This would be, is it nine months to get to, to Mars from here? I don't I know. I feel like it's nine months. Well, let me put it in MapQuest. Let me <laughs> put it in MapQuest yeah. and see. <laughs> and see how long it would take if you were walking. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. If you're taking a bike yeah. or if you're taking a rocket, there you go. Yeah. That'd be funny. So, but it, I, I just, I've, I've always loved the space program. Um, I can remember being, we were in college, as a matter of fact. And I was down at the uh, the Rathskeller, I think, when um, they, remember they first launched uh, the space shuttle Enterprise off that 747 just to watch it glide? Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. I, th- I think I was in the Rathskeller when they did that, I think. It was very cool. I mean, the idea of a reusable uh, vehicle is great, but from what I've been reading, it it's only goes so far. There's just so much stress with uh, going up and coming back that uh, you just have to constantly replace parts and constantly check things. I mean, it's it's still cheaper than than you know rebuilding the entire you know the entire ship every time you have to use it. Even the International Space Station has got a very limited lifespan just because of the stresses it's under. Yeah, it's going to start becoming dangerous. Have you seen the footage of uh, SpaceX, their their heavy lift vehicle, the, the boosters landing side by yes. side? <laughs> it's, it's wild. That, that really is. That, that's amazing. Um, the technology is just phenomenal. Because yeah. in old science fiction movies, you'd see the, the ships like landing on a planet coming down tail first. And you thought, oh, that's impossible. They'll never be able to do that. And now we're doing that. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Is is it's really impressive what they've done because I, I when they when this was tossed to them the private industry nine years ago I don't know how far along they were and they had to make a lot of mistakes you know along the way to learn uh, but that's an awful lot of development in a short amount yeah. of time I imagine a lot of that very has, impressive yeah it has to do with the d- development of, of better sensors faster processors because uh, you know I, I do a little bit of work with robotics uh, and we're just using 
little 8-bit processors on our robots. And you have to constantly evaluate, do I want to do this function or do I want to check the sensors to figure out if I should still be doing this function? And, and you have to do this <laughs> elaborate time slicing. And, you know, where, where you know, every nanosecond counts, it, it's, it's very different. Now, I heard that the computing power of the Apollo computer um, is outmatched by what you have on your cell phone today. I heard that before. Uh, yes, I, I've heard that too, and I, I believe that's absolutely correct. And I, th- that's amazing. I think on those early rockets, if I'm not mistaken, the computers weren't so much uh, used for control, but as for, uh, for doing calculations. So it, it's, it's running the numbers for you to tell you, do this thrust for this many seconds in this direction, rather than actually controlling the vehicle. We're just watching, uh, hmm. watching the uh, Crew Dragon uh, as it's coming in for the final docking. You can see all these little micro bursts on all the uh, maneuvering jets. Yeah, that was so cool. Yeah, and it's like coming so, so cool. fast and in so many different directions. It was very neat. Absolutely. It was, it was very great. So, uh, yeah, I'm... I'm. Uh, I can't wait for them to come back safely. So it's, it's an actual mission completed. Mm-hmm. You know, my heart will be in my throat until uh, until that happens. Yeah, I was nervous about the launch because one of the I think it was a SpaceX uh, test vehicle blew up the day before the launch. It was in Texas. Oh, that was the the Starship. Yeah, yeah, that was a different vehicle. But yeah, the Starship. Yeah, I would think that that make you a little nervous. I don't get. I don't really understand the Starship. I don't know if it's designed for. Um, low earth orbit tourism or what and then some somebody else was saying that um, when after the space station is done with its operating life that you could basically send up like one of those and it'll have more room inside Hmm. than what the uh, iss has so i I don't but i don't know what its goal is talk about something that looks retro looks very 1950s doesn't it that chrome rocket i i have not seen it oh really no no. yeah google it google it you'll be amazed uh, yeah, SpaceX Starship. Hmm. It's it's all chrome, and it looks just like a 1950s Forbidden Planet kind of spaceship. Well, I was looking uh, for, like looking at the uh, the X Prize because you know that was one of the things that kind of fed into this this space this, this second space race, and the winner of the prize was uh, Spaceship One, and even that looks old now. And then that wasn't that long ago. That was maybe 2004 or something. So it was funny what I was thinking to myself is, you know, obviously the companies like Boeing and SpaceX, the competition must have been fierce. Um, and there's probably a lot of animosity. And Boeing is probably sitting there going, how could we have lost to this upstart company yeah. headed up by a pot smoking, you know, president? And we, we've been in, in the space business since the beginning, you know. But it's like I'm, I'm rooting for both companies. I want both those space capsules, you know, functional and being launched. I want to see this stuff. Well, that reminds me of another thing that was interesting uh, contrast thing. Uh, interesting contrast was the uh, the SpaceX Command Center, uh, Mission Control Center, and uh, the NASA one uh, for the space station. I, they they looked like right. they were like out of different uh, different centuries. And, and even uh, even Mission Control in Houston, um, the picture I always have in my mind of Mission Control in Houston is what it looked like in the '60s. And even that looks different now with all the computer screens and and everything. Yeah, um, it's really the the logo in the center. I think the thing that stayed constant. But uh, it was it was very exciting to watch. It was really interesting. Um, you know, like the I had the whole family there mm-hmm. uh, watching. Um, Caitlin was at work, but she was watching uh, on television or on the internet 
there. And it's like, uh, you know, Susan starts getting all misty eyed and stuff like that because it's a big historic event. And so it's really neat. I mean, to have the space program touch people like that. Yeah. Well, the major networks didn't cover it while I was watching it online. That's kind of strange, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, back, back in the day, uh, they covered all those sorts of things. Yeah, and you think of some of the uh, the nonsense they all do cover, mm-hmm. you know, obs- obsessing about things, and they don't cover this. It's kind of interesting. It was cool. So what else about space? Space. Well, um, I mean, there were a few uh, space probes uh, unmanned missions that were kind of interesting. Uh, Viking 1 was interesting. That was uh, when I was in high school, and you were in high school. That was uh, yeah. the Mars lander, speaking of Mars, uh, the search for life, and I guess it had kind of yeah. inconclusive results there. I guess there was a possibility that they detected something, but we uh, I don't remember if that ever got resolved. Now, that's going to be the other really big, exciting things. Uh, I mean, big developments that, that have come recently that are just mind-boggling is with the technology they're using now, where it's like you, you won't see a solar system or you won't be able to see a planet, but they calculate by the way the light bends you know that there's a planet in the way that's skewing the light yeah earth equivalents you know there are out there it's like all that is brand new i read an article i should have i should have reread it i didn't think i'd be talking about this but it was i thought it was fascinating but it talked about we were talking about mars i think it was mars yeah but it was talking about what the challenges are to actually be able to land something on mars and it's just absolutely insane you know it's like you need a you need to have a parachute to slow it down, but it really doesn't have much of an atmosphere, mm-hmm. and so you can't have you can't have an oversized parachute. But you got to have just the right size to catch just enough air where your probe survives. But it's all these like conflicting things. Not this, but that, and so you have to do this or that in its slightest deviation, and your probe is lost. Right. So anytime they land something on Mars, and the and the pictures are just amazing, and it always surprises me. Um, how similar I, I think of strange alien worlds and it's amazing how much it looks like the desert southwest yeah although it does look awfully um awfully bleak and lonely doesn't it aren't we aren't we all Ray? i, I guess it's a metaphor for how we all are <laughs> it's a it's a metaphor of the right. <laughs> speaking of landing of the- remember that remember the Remember the Paper Chase? Yes. Paper Chase, that TV series? Yeah, I loved that. Mr. Hot, it will match the vast, arid desert of your mind. <laughs> that always stood out to me. I was in law school at the time, so I found it considerably less entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I do this during the day. I don't want to watch it at night. Yeah. I find no entertainment in more anxiety. <laughs> But uh, the uh, when we talk about landing on Mars, the uh, the landing system for Curiosity rover was absolutely phenomenal. The way that came down, you know, it comes down on a parachute, and then your rockets take over, and you just drop it off, and then and get released. It just uh, was very cool. Yeah, and I think I think that was the the other example they were saying. They basically said the parachute won't slow it down enough, and so you need rockets. But if you're not real careful. It's going to kick up so much dust, it's going to land all over your pan- solar panels mm-hmm. and kill them. And so it can knock up some dust, but not very much. And it's just a very hard thing to do. And that's why it's amazing it's there. But it's just so cool looking at the pictures. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, technology has really come a long way. Although for, for a lot of the NASA stuff, by the time it gets up there, it's, it's pretty old technology. 
So when do you think we're going to find alien life and how do you think we're going to find it? I think uh, we won't find it. It will find us. Do you think intelligent <laughs> intelligent life will reach out to us? No, I, I, not likely. I think it's more likely to be uh, on the microbe level, uh, possibly on Mars. Yep, I, I think I think we're going to end up probably finding a couple different ways this could go. Um, we will end up finding like fossils of some kind of bacteria or something that existed and they'll end up finding out that some of the bacteria is still alive and so yes it's it's extraterrestrial but it's also extraterrestrially boring (laughs) like we found mold in space it's like okay great um the real freaky one that i think is a possibility is you know stop and think of how we envision alien life you know it's kind of like our size or maybe half our size and they look like this and they're bipeds Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff wouldn't it be freaky to find out that they're microscopic and they're here now and they have been here, you know, or, so, or something like that? You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. Well, I feel like we, we could hear them screaming when we walk through their uh, villages. That's right. We're probably like Godzilla right. walking through. So, yeah. Uh, but that, that would be the other one. read like science fiction stories about that, like uh, the whole thing about scale, things that are smaller than us and then we're just that small in proportion to something that's bigger than us and yeah who knows who knows who knows who knows because we're going to have a tendency to look for our concept of life not life as we know i don't know if they're looking (laughs) yeah i'm not i'm not looking i'm not i don't know if they're actually keeping an eye out for complete anomalies that we wouldn't normally be looking for if that makes sense. Right. I mean, we're, 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 we are scanning the electromagnetic spectrum, uh, but I don't know if, uh, if that's necessarily where, where we'd find it. And then the other thing, too, is if, is if Mars looks like the desert southwest and the elements of planets are very similar, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe the bacteria that are here aren't all that unique maybe the bacteria that were here were elsewhere and so maybe maybe we'll end up finding more similarities to our planet you know like oh yeah the early pre-life kind of stuff you'll find on another planet it's just the atmosphere went away so it couldn't evolve you know it's like who knows yeah it's gonna be interesting although you know the the jovian moons uh some of saturn's moons uh i think there's the potential to find something out that way too and but those are they seem close, but that's just a, another whole degree of distance to get out there and explore that stuff. I don't know where I'll be when they solve that problem, but wherever I am, I probably won't smell too good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that'll be another interesting thing, too. It's like you stop and think about all the discoveries we've had. Can you imagine if we figured out warp drive? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what, what we all the discoveries we'd make in a short amount of time? Because now we can cover so much space. Right, it'd be amazing. So, are we getting are we getting our bang for the buck out of the space program? Uh, is it worth it? Are we, will the International Space Station, uh, however much money goes into that, what, what's coming out of it? What do you think? That is that is a great a great question. Um, we don't have the competition with the Soviet Union anymore, so you can't look at race, uh, the space race, as you know, national pride kind of thing or validation of the capitalist system or whatnot. Um, 
in the 60s, you used to hear all the time about, look at all the innovations around you. I mean, so many of them are derived from the space program, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't even hear that anymore. No. They talk about uh, an amazing amount of scientific experimentation that's been done on the ISS. But what I haven't seen is what are the amazing things we know now that was only made possible by the ISS. So they don't really make the case for themselves very as well as they probably could. Right. Because I mean, before we we you know, we had transistors, transistors and integrated circuits, and but now the you know consumer market pretty much drives that all by itself. I don't know if we need the, the space program to to push that along. I, I think I think it's worth it only because it's cool, mm-hmm. and I think they should up the funding for more coolness. Okay, better uniforms. Better <laughs> uniforms. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I thought what's a Starfleet logo? Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of Starfleet, though, they want their logo back from the Space Force flag. <laughs> Have you seen the, the the comparison of that? To, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the the Delta swoosh. Or yeah, whatever it looks it is. almost identical to uh, United Federation of Planets logo. But this is cool. I'm I'm very psyched to see us back in space. Me too. You've been listening to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast, where we're always reaching for the stars. She's wired like a Christmas tree, and I don't know she hold. <laughs> Instead of going to water bait, we can't keep it up forever. Can't do it. I love the power. 